Arizona Sports. <laughs> Breaking news. That's going to be that kind of a day, I think. According to Ian Rappaport, Commander's wide receivers cro- coach, Drew Terrell, has been requested by the Arizona Cardinals for their offensive coordinator's job, a source said. He's 31 years old. Highly thought of in NFL circles. So right okay. now, we've got... That He's, now. Um, by the way, uh, I know the name. He's a local guy. Is he? He's a local guy. If, I, if it's the same Drew Terrell that I'm thinking about... Let's see. Drew Tw- Terrell, Washington Commanders... I got him going to Stanford... Well, did he okay. go to high school here? I thought he was. Mesa. I thought he was a high school. He was I thought born he was in Mesa. A- okay, good call, Gambo. He was born in Mesa. He was yeah, born I know in the Mesa. name. I know the name, Drew Terrell. All right, so now we've got two offensive coordinators. And we won't, you know, probably won't hit the breaking news sounder for every single one of them because it's obviously going to be that kind of a day. But we played it for Drew Petzing, the Browns quarterback's coach. He is interviewing for the OC job. Now we get word that the commander's wide receivers coach, Drew Terrell, who Gambo astutely pointed out, and I was not aware, is a local guy. He was born in Mesa. He, too, has been requested by the Cardinals to interview for the offensive coordinator's job. Young guy. He's just 31. But according to Rappaport, he's highly thought of in NFL circles. Bring so, him home. Sure. You know, Bring and, him home. And yeah. maybe, okay, there's a name. Yeah, there's a name. And, and I, I suspect, Gambo, we're going to get a lot of names now that this thing is done with Jonathan Gannon. So we, we, he's got to put his staff together. Yep. He's got to put his staff together. He's going to have to do it quickly and, um, you know, get, get, his, get everybody on board. And, you know, obviously we expected that name with the offensive coordinator, but there's a lot more than that. You know, you've got you've to have a good offensive line coach, a defensive line coach. And he, you know, interesting, he said that he was not, he did not know yet if he was going to call the defense. Defense. He did not know at this point whether he was going to do that or not. Yeah, uh, we'll, we're going to bop back and forth between KD and Gannon talk pretty much all day here on the Burns and Gambo show because there's so much to pluck from both of those introductory press conferences. We're going to go back to Durant here, and in particular, the, the, the unusual different kind of press conference that went down today at Footprint Center in front of all those fans, took an interesting turn when he was, as he should have been, asked about his time in Brooklyn. Here's what Kevin Durant said. It was a lot of ups and downs, but I loved the grind. So, and everybody in Brooklyn loved the grind, too. So I built a family over there. They're going to always be a part of my journey. Uh, so we didn't accomplish what we wanted to accomplish as far as winning a championship, just like I told him, but I enjoyed the grind. And everybody there, we tried our hardest every day, regardless what was going on in the media, what was going on with our teammates. Everybody who was in that gym, we grinded. So I love those guys. I get emotional to talk about them because that was a special four years of my career coming off of Achilles, and they helped me through a lot. So I don't have anything. Um... So, yeah, it was terrible how some stuff went down, but... At the end of the day, I love to grind, and we all love to grind there in Brooklyn, and I wish them the best going forward. They got a bright future. Hmm. Got emotional. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. Don't take, don't take any shots. I mean, you 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 went there, then and and he said, I mean, the the problem was that we just we're never on the court together. Like we we were never all healthy together. Like we, 
you know, we were going through the grind. We had we had a good team. We, it was just we couldn't, you know. And then somebody said, it was just it was availability. I don't know if he said it like that, but it was just we were just not on the court together. We had good players, but we're always hurt. It was him, Kyrie, Joe Harris was hurt. Like they had a good team, but they just didn't have many games where they played together. Yeah, here's I think the cut that you're referring to. We just didn't get on the court enough. I think when you seen James, Kyrie, and myself, it was it was amazing basketball for 17 games though. <laughs> but you need, in order for you to win a championship and to be a great team, you just need more time on the floor. We could. It's another story about why we didn't get on the floor together, but we just didn't get enough time on the floor. And um, those are Hall of Fame players that I learned a lot from every day, and I wishing them the best as well. Uh, it just didn't work out. And while he wasn't asked about it specifically, most of the reporting that's been done about the story pretty much has come out that as soon as Kyrie asked out, and as soon as it was obvious that the Nets were going to let him out, that Kevin Durant, instead of doing the public thing like he did the first time around in which he asked out, very privately went behind the scenes to the Nets and said, I'm ready to go. And I don't know if he was rewarded for being private about it, but because it was not public, the Nets very, very quietly behind the scenes, Gambo, worked to accommodate him and worked to negotiate with the Phoenix Suns and the back and forth that went, the Suns' realization, and we've talked with James Jones about this, the Suns' realization that they were going to have to include Mikel Bridges, uh, the reporting that was done that suggesting the Suns initially didn't want to include Jay Crowder in the deal because they wanted to hold on to him and make a separate deal for Jay Crowder later on at the trade deadline and, and Brooklyn's insistence upon that. It was all done very quietly, very off the record, and because of that, it, it got done without anybody really knowing. Yeah, I did like that part of it because you didn't want to make it public. You didn't want to make it ugly. At that point, you're like, Kyrie was gone. Okay, listen, I, I, I did what you wanted me to do. We tried it. It didn't work. Valiant effort. We couldn't all stay healthy. It's just Kyrie wants out. And he said, like, I didn't really know what was going on with Kyrie. Like, he, he did say that. Like, I didn't really, like, Kyrie's thing with his thing. I didn't really know what was happening there. But I think once he was able to figure out that Kyrie wasn't going to be there, it was best for him to part ways. It was best for him, you know, to, to move on. It was easier too. It was easier at that point to say, look, I gave it a shot. I gave it, you know, four or five months. We tried to make it work. I, I kept my mouth shut. I played hard. We, you know, they had a great run at one point when he was when he was healthy and Kyrie wasn't playing. And but at that point he was able to say, look, it's it's time and they agreed. They agreed. Like uh, let's get what we can for you. Because the longer the Nets waited, like the older KD got, the less they you know, his value is at an all time high right now. Right now. You weren't a year from now. It might not have been the same. It might have been different. Yeah, yeah. And because of that, the the they were basically able to demand whatever they wanted to demand from the Phoenix Suns, and they were able to get whatever they wanted to get from the Phoenix Suns. Because as we've said so many times, when a Kevin Durant wants you, you have to want him back. You're required. Uh, it, it does. It does seem like listening to those cuts again. And he, he look. He said nothing negative about it, other than making the joke about you know only 17 games together, which I thought was kind of funny. I got to imagine from his perspective, though, if it's if it's all about you know team up with other stars in the league. I mean, you go from Kyrie and the Nets to Book and the Suns, you know, along with Paul and along with Aiton. I mean, a far more stable situation, right? A far more, okay, he had... 
Steve Nash is his coach. Steve Nash was out after a few games this year, and then it was Jacques Vaughn as his coach. He goes from that to a very stable situation with Monty and with Book and with Chris Paul and with DeAndre Ayton. That doesn't mean they're going to get a better version of Kevin Durant, but I think the environment around him is just so much more stable than the last one was. Brooklyn was a mess for the last two years, and most of it was kind of Kyrie-initiated because of what he was doing, but I, I, as, as fondly as he spoke about his time there, and as grateful as he sounded for his time there, coming off the Achilles, gotta imagine there's a part of him that's very relieved to be done with that, because it's just so much more stable here. So much more stable. And you know, you think about Kevin Durant, like, what, what team do you most associate KD with? Honestly, it's still Oklahoma City. Me too, me too. It's I'm glad Oklahoma, you said that. It's still Oklahoma City. I'm glad you said that, because I feel the same way. It's still... Oklahoma City. Even though he won the two championships, he talked about winning two championships. But I just, man, I, you almost felt like you were like a hired gun there with, with, with Clay and Steph, and they had won one. See, here would be different. I think winning a championship here would be different than winning a championship in Golden State. They're all great, right? You can't say like they're not. But, man, you come here and you help get this team over the hump that's never won a championship. I mean, that's pretty... Freaking remarkable if he's able to, to do that. And that would mean a lot. And then maybe, maybe at some point, and I think this is what you look for when you get a little bit older and you're an athlete and you don't really have that one place. You know, you like, you want him to be like Barkley was with Philly for a long time. He was with Houston. But I think most people still remember Charles Barkley as a son. I think like that's his home. That's his team is the Phoenix Suns, not the 76ers, not the Rockets, but the Suns. And I think there's a chance that this. Phoenix Suns organization could end up being Katie's, you know, forever home. The Innings Festival is back. Two-day music festival featuring a star-studded lineup. Green Day, Eddie Vedder, The Offspring, Weezer returns to Tempe Beach Park on February 25th and 26th. Head to the contest page at ArizonaSports.com for complete details and your chance to win tickets. When we come back, he might be a defensive-minded head coach. He is heavily invested in his offensive center piece. Jonathan Gannon on Kyler Murray, next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo, afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Obviously played against Kyler this year, and uh, it was a unique game plan to put together because of his skill set. And, you know, I I use the term, uh, he's a problem to defend. Uh, because what he can do. He's a legit problem for defenses. And, um, you know, he has a very unique skill set. And uh, that's what I'm looking forward to, working with him and showing him, hey, this is how defenses are going to try to stop you. Here's what you need to be ready for. And these are the things that we're going to do with him that's going to help him move all the way up and down the field and score a bunch of points and be explosive and protect the football. And as by now, I'm sure most people know, that's the voice of Jonathan Gannon, the new coach of the Arizona Cardinals, and yes, Kyler Murray, in addition to a whole bunch of other guys from the team, were at his introductory press conference this morning, and most of the time, Gambo, I noticed that when Jonathan Gannon was speaking about Kyler Murray, he was pointing towards Kyler Murray. I mean, I think Kyler was sitting right off to his left, yeah. and there was one answer where, where I mean, he was like pointing at him. like He's almost like he's talking to Kyler, not talking, talking about Kyler. It was, it was a real, I thought it was kind of the moment of the press conference, to be honest with you today. Yeah, and I think you know you go back to that game, and I looked at that right after the press conference was over. 
Kyle threw for 250 yards in that game. He had one touchdown, one interception. He was only sacked once, but he also had 42 yards rushing on four carries. So I remember we had that thing, you know, when, Ky- when, when Kyler rushes for over this many yards yeah. and when he rushes this many times, that was an ongoing theme. He rushed the ball four times for 42 yards. The Cardinals as a team rushed for 124 yards against his defense, 4.8 yards per carry. There was only one sack in the entire game for the Philadelphia Eagles. That was by Hassan Reddick. Hassan Reddick had the only sack and only one turnover. That was C.J. Gardner-Johnson with the interception. So I went back and I looked at that game and, you know, Marquise Brown led all receivers with, you know, for, for the Cardinals with eight catches for 78 yards. And Rondale Moore had seven catches for 68 yards. And Zach Ertz had six catches. So he spread the ball around. So I think if you are Gannon and you're looking at, at and, you, and you know, your memory is from that game, you remember pretty good Kyler Murray. Now, the Cardinals only scored 17 points, but he wasn't bad in that game, right? He wasn't terrible. He, he, he wasn't bad. He spread the ball around between a bunch of different receivers and they ran the ball pretty effectively. And the Eagles won that game by three points. Yeah, and, and that's honestly, without having looked back upon it, and I'm glad you did it, that's what I remember the most about that game, being one of those games where we came in here the next day on a Big Red Monday, and you and I were both like, the Eagles aren't so bad. The Cardinals could have very easily beaten them. If this had happened, if that had happened, not necessarily because of how Kyler had played, but just this idea that the Cardinals were very much able to hang with the Eagles and just couldn't quite finish when it was all said and done. Gannon said more about Kyler, and if I, if I remember it right, I think this was one of the real standout things that he said to me when it came to Kyler. He was answering a question about his plan at offensive coordinator. Here's what he said. Yeah, that's step one. We're, we're starting to look at some different candidates and uh, looking at interviewing some people here in the next 48 hours, And uh, but I have a very specific vision of how I want to play on offense and the person that comes in here to run the offense is going to understand that everything that we do will be structured around the quarterback position to maximize his skill set and we have an elite one we also have some elite players at different positions already on the roster that i'm very excited to work with and uh that's what we're going to do we have an elite one you know like like he all just wanted to make sure he identified right out of the shoots Kyler, it's you and me, man. It's you and me. And then I saw some video the Cardinals tweeted out afterwards in which it's a lot more the same of what we saw a couple days ago when he first got the gig. It was very you and me, Kyler, ride and die. Let's go get it. Let's let's like he he really, I thought, established a partnership almost, for lack of a better way of describing, with Kyler very early yeah. in the process today. I, I thought that word elite was used because Michael Bidwell did the same thing when somebody asked him about hiring Gann and he said the view he had of our elite quarterback, excited about what his plan is for him. But Michael referred to that, too. Like, it was almost like the memo went around, call Kyler elite, call him elite, call him elite, make sure everybody calls him elite. I have the cut here. Can I play it for you? The Michael cut? Yeah, sure, let please me play do. It. Yeah, let me play it. I think he came in with a vision and plan that the, the vision aligned with where we want to be about getting back to the top of the NFC West and competing in January and competing to get to the Super Bowl and win it. So that's number one with the vision. His plan he outlined, some of which he'll get in today, some of which we're not going to get into, uh, but I'm excited about it. It's the view that he had of our elite quarterback mm-hmm. and getting him back to being the playmaker that he is and making sure we build around him and put our players in positions, uh, especially Kyler as our quarterback, uh, to really get after it. And I was excited about what his plan is and, and how he outlined it. That's the one, right? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of references about Kyler being elite, 
Like, he's an elite quarterback. Like, And I'm sure that in the conversations that Michael had, he's like, look, I got $250 million invested in this guy. Like, I need him to be elite. I need him to be great. You know, you got to hire people that are going to make him great. We got to get the most out of him. And, and in that cut, it did. It, he did say, and I, I don't know if you can find the exact, he did say to get him back to. So it was almost because we've t- remember one of the biggest word we used for Kyler Murray this year was regression, regression, regression. In that comment, he said we got to get Kyler back to, and I can't remember exactly what he said, but um, I don't know if you want to play it again. But get Kyler back because we did. We thought that Kyler regressed this year. You talking about the Michael Bidwell cut? Yeah, the cut you just played. He talked about getting Kyler back to let me play like it one a more certain time. level. Let me play it one more time. I think he came in with a vision and plan that the, the vision aligned with where we want to be about getting back to the top of the NFC West and competing in January and competing to get to the Super Bowl and win it. So that's number one with the vision. His plan he outlined, some of which he'll get in today, some of which we're not going to get into, uh, but I'm excited about it. It's the view that he had of our elite quarterback and getting him back to being the playmaker that he is and making sure we build around him and put our players in positions, uh, especially Kyler as our quarterback, uh, to really get after it. And I was excited about what his plan is and and how he outlined it. That's the one yeah. you were looking for, yeah. Getting right him back to being the playmaker he is. Getting him back. Now, you don't say getting him back unless the guy you know was once there and then he slipped. And that was clearly the thing. Kyler Murray, they felt, was, was on his way to being the quarterback that everybody wanted him to be. The quarterback that they invested in. But he slipped. He regressed. Maybe on his own. Maybe because of Cliff. Maybe because Hopkins was suspended for six games. For whatever the case is, they, they want to get him back to that. And I thought that was an interesting you know, comment by Michael talking about getting him back to that level. Kyler was there. DJ Humphreys was there. Will Hernandez was there. James Conner, Rondale Moore, Antoine Wesley, Colt McCoy, Zach Ertz was there as well. Byron Murphy uh, was there as well. And that's interesting that Murphy was there. Will Hernandez was there. They're two unrestricted free agents. They might not even be back with the Cardinals. And they were, they were both there as well. Now, there is news about the Cardinals. And, we're, and we decided early on we're not going to play the breaking news sound every single time there's a new request for an interview that comes down because it might be one of those days where we get three or four of these. I will tell you there's now a third name that is being associated with the Cardinals when it comes to their offensive coordinator's job. According to Tom Palacero, the Cardinals have requested an interview with Saints running backs coach Joel Thomas for their offensive coordinator's job. That is in addition to Commander's wide receivers coach Drew Terrell. He's 31 years old, according to Rappaport, highly thought of in NFL circles. And then the guy who's considered the favorite for the job, and that is Browns quarterbacks coach Drew Petzing. He is the, he is going to interview for the OC job. Now this morning on Bickley and Murata, they had on Mary Kay Cabot, who has covered the Cleveland Browns for a long, long time for the Cleveland newspaper. And she thinks that the Petzing-Kyler Murray pairing will be a very, very good one. Drew Petzing, what you'll find in Drew is that he is, first of all, really funny. I mean, he is just a funny guy. He's personable. These are guys that that players are going to want to coach, to play for. Uh, You know, I, I think that Kyler Murray will... 
identify with Drew Petzing also from a size standpoint. They're both really kind of small. But Drew is just, he's very, very funny. I mean, he's funny. He's personable. I think that I think that Kyler will like his personality. I think they'll connect. Uh, and I think Drew will be really good at his job. Most people is assume he's going to get the job. Is it possible for somebody to say that somebody's funny without being like, funny how? Like I amuse you? Like I'm a clown? Is it is it impossible? <laughs> Tell me that you, I know you. Tell me you don't think about that every time somebody says somebody's funny. Pretty much. My mind goes right. Every time. Pretty much every, every time. single time. Funny how? Like funny like, yeah, a, like, I, like amuse I amuse you? you? Like I'm a clown? <laughs> you know it. You know I that every know, time know, somebody yeah. says that, you only think about that. because it's one of the best movies of all time and only because it's one of the best <laughs> scenes within one of the best movies of all time. I mean, it really, it's it's hard for my brain not to go there. Yes. Um, I mean, that's an intriguing name, Thomas. You know, you think about the Mark Ingram. You think about Alvin Kamara and what he's done. Um, Thomas has been there for a long time. He's been there for eight years. Those guys have had a lot of success running the ball with Ingram and Kamara. So um, that is very interesting. You know, that's an interesting name. Um, and you said that they were interviewing him for the offensive coordinator job. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Those, are the, those are the three so far. There could be many, many more. All right. We continue ping-ponging back and forth between the Suns and the Cardinals, the Suns and the Cardinals. And when we come back, he was in attendance for maybe the most unique introductory press conference ever. Our Suns guru, Kellen Olsen. Will join us next on Burns and Gambo. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Courtside with. Jeez, uh, man, I can't hear anything with all the dribbling. So, as I was trying to tell you, this is a new thing called Courtside with Kellen. Kellen Olsen's our son's brainiac, and he knows everything about the sons and the players like Kellen, so he's got that going for him. Anyhow, here's Kellen. And he's brought to you by Southwest Gas. Committed to exceeding expectations today while innovating sustainable solutions for tomorrow. All right, back here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Gambo working from home today. We're here in the auction community studios. Obviously, we've got so much to talk about. Jonathan Gannon's introductory press conference as coach of the Cardinals this morning. Kevin Durant's introductory press conference as a member of the Suns this afternoon. Kellen Olsen had a front row seat, literally, for the Kevin Durant one. And Gambo, he joins us in studio for his weekly segment. So let's just think it. Gambo and I have been doing this a long time. You've been doing this a while. That was one of the most unique settings for a press conference I think any of us have ever seen or heard. Yeah, it, it'll it be an unforgettable moment of just like my career for sure uh, in, in a lot of different ways. Um, I was the person, of course, who had to ask the question that got the crowd to respond with, we can't hear you, with them yelling huh. at me and at Kevin Durant. So like people heard cheers and people were me like, oh, they cheered your questions. Like, no, they were cheering the mics working and they could, <laughs> that they could hear them. Meanwhile, you guys at home are listening on the radio watching the stream and you heard me perfectly fine. Perfect. But the crowd there, and to your point, how unique it was, the only thing that mattered was that crowd there. And they couldn't hear me, and they let me know, and they let Kevin know. So then I repeated my question, sped through it. And, (laughs) of course, you and I, uh, Burnsy, are twinsies in terms of anxiety and how we feel that on a daily basis. So I was in my own nightmare. Oh, uh, I was was listening to you thinking, come on, Kellen, you got this. You got this. You're fine, (laughs) Kellen. You got this. Because I I was thinking about how I would react in a moment like that. Oh, my God. Gambo, have you seen anger management? You know, goose for ball. I took like three seconds. And I was like, you got this. I, I, I was like, I was like, I don't know that I'd be able to remember the question I just asked. Oh, like, how so, do I re- like? Can you repeat everything you just said? I don't remember what I just said. Like, I had it all thought out. I think all of my like brain cells got used for that like twelve seconds. I'd be pouring sweat <laughs> in a least, moment like that. 
At least you didn't have the question that got all the booze. <laughs> Gosh, Campbell, wasn't that? It wasn't weird that the question got asked because all of us know how the how this business is and how important that uh, the way I described it on our podcast just now is that if you look at like so post Miami LeBron until like LeBron and Katie retire, like that era of basketball for, that's like a 12, 15 year run or whatever it is or, or nine. One of the four or five biggest storylines is that team and how it failed. Nick Friedel covered that team. He's got to ask that question, but he's in front of 3,000 Suns fans who do not care about that question. <laughs> so he gets booed, the poor guy. And then Kevin Durant's getting emotional about it because it was a very emotional thing for that to fail in the way that it did. <laughs> And, and meanwhile, we're just getting, uh, it, was, it was, man, unforgettable for sure. For no, no, no doubt about it. What? Okay, so you, you came in here and with a press conference like that, being, and I don't want to get too like inside media about anything. I mean, it, it, was, it was certainly unique and it was different. You believe the pressure now on this player and this organization in this moment is yeah, enormous? I, I think that the pressure was always there as soon as this move happened. Happened, but that was the first time where I really felt it. It wasn't seeing how the crowd reacted to Durant in the building on Tuesday. It was seeing how big that moment was and how huge it was and how much it means to people that he's here and how much it means not I, I wouldn't say even specifically him being here it's how much it means that he is here like that, that a player of his caliber is here and I just watched I drove back here after that and I was like oh my gosh like if they if they don't even make it to the Western Cards finals this is going to be like a disaster like I just the, the expectations of that and the com- the compare uh, the thing we can compare it to Gambo of course is the not one, not two, not three, not four LeBron press conference where that's how I kind of felt to it where the expectations and now no one said anything to that degree. But I just really felt the expectations now. Championship or bust, really, Gambo? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any question that, you know, that everybody, when they say who's the best team, it's people still think it could be Boston and Milwaukee. And some people see the Suns as the third best team. But the interesting thing is that nobody, you know, and everything that I've seen from all the national pundits and people that cover the sport on a regular basis, Nobody is sitting there saying that you know that, that there's a team in the West that's better than the Phoenix Suns, and we and I joked around yesterday like, man, if I'm a Denver Nuggets fan, I'm like, oh my god, really? Because the Nuggets were they they were good, they've been the best team, you know, so far this year in the West, and then the Suns go out there and they get Kevin Durant. I, I agree. It's but I, I do you think it was championship or bust without KD? Because we've had that conversation too, Kellen. No, and, and the way that I would compare it, Gambo is I, I think it would be I don't know if you guys have talked about it in this way specifically, but if you look at how much pressure was on this team the year they made the finals, even when they were up 2-0, like you can even say then, the pressure that was on them last year when they were definitively the favorites, I don't think that pressure at all compares to this. I don't think it compares to it at all because what that moment spoke to me about is like we are in and I, and a lot of people have been asking me like, oh, how's it feel? Like, a, well, like you covered big moments in the last time. Nothing compares to covering a guy. He's the most famous guy in the state now. Like if there's the biggest, who's the biggest celebrity in Arizona? Arizona right now, it's it's Kevin Durant now, and it's just the magnitude of a player like that being here. Uh, the days Suns fans of complaining about your team not getting enough attention, <laughs> they're gone. <laughs> they're going to be talked about every day on every talking show, podcast, and all that kind of stuff.
stuff like they they are going to be talked about and that with that undeniably comes pressure it just does now fortunately Bernsey the swagger that man answered that question I feel that pressure every day because I'm one of the best to ever do it and you're like oh yes yes you are Mr. Durant that is correct like that guy's ready for it is his team ready for it that's what we're going to learn here yeah and, and I think last year I'll be honest with you I think that was kind of what undid the Suns a little bit last year they went into the playoffs with the 64 win season they were the favorite to win a championship maybe not the definitive favorite to win a championship but I think most people were picking them and I think they felt that I think they felt that when they struggled against the Pelicans I really think they felt that when things started to slip against Dallas and I think that is in part what kind of got to them a little bit last year but now the, the I mean I, I think anytime you go to the finals one year and you follow that up with a franchise record and wins the next you're, you're almost automatically slid over into the championship or bust kind of mantra every single year like if that's just where you exist now as long as you have that same core but it's at a totally different level let's talk about our expectations now moving forward one game before the all-star break James was TBD with us yesterday as to whether he's going to play Friday next Friday against Oklahoma City Durant wouldn't say when he's going to play do do any insight at all as, as to when Durant actually makes his debut no not at all what you guys heard on the air in terms of him saying it pretty soon uh, that's what we'll hear but it's it's going to be an eventful return either way the schedule really lines up that way they've got OKC a week from Friday but then the next game after that ABC 11 a.m. against Milwaukee in Milwaukee and then a week from that day they play again on Sunday on at 11 a.m. on ABC against Dallas so there are like these big games coming up on the fixtures where you kind of look at them and say that's going to be a big moment for them uh, you guys will, will dig into this more tomorrow I assume we heard from Terrence Ross this morning and it was really interesting to hear that he was talking about what kind of let him going from Dallas to Phoenix and he said he had a conversation with Monty and James and, and conversations about his role and it made me kind of think that he might be a lot more important to this team than we think in terms of the vision of how they're going to use him and that's something I'm going to be watching for tonight against the Clippers and then going forward expectations for the next couple of games how do the minutes shake out everywhere else it seems like Terrence Ross is going to get quite a few based on what he said this morning yeah right, I wanted to ask you about this before before we lose you we, we've talked about this like where can the Suns end up one seed two seed three seed mm-hmm. four seed there's four back-to-backs and you've got guys Book's been injured Paul's been injured KD's been injured I don't know that they chase you know, I don't know that they're chasing right now. I think they're. I think that they're going to manage minutes, load management. I don't think that they. They can we overcome five games? I'm not think they're going to put the you know pedal to the metal and try to catch a couple of the teams ahead of them. I think it's more about just can they get to the playoffs healthy. I, I agree, and I think a lot of what Kevin Durant said today echoed that sort of mentality in the in the process and how much they've got to learn how to play with each other and how much he is willing to put in the work himself to sort of make that happen. Putting put good stuff on film is that the way that the that the Hooper put it uh, yeah it, it, it echoes completely kind of what we've heard from him in in the past five back in the loss column of Memphis in the two seed it's attainable Gambo but at the same time I think that if they're top four they're in a position where they're in top four and they feel fine about just getting home court in the first round and then kind of uh, going from there but the discrepancy in the win-loss column for all these teams in the west home against loss like it's been a big year for home court advantage so I think that it matters a lot more this year but with that being said you've got Kevin and Chris Paul, Devin Booker, your two seed, seven seed. 
four seed, one seed, I don't think it matters all yeah. that much. And I think making sure they're healthy, rested, matters more than anything. So yep. I wouldn't be surprised at all if you see load management. All right, Kellen, uh, you've been busy. you got a game to cover tonight, the last one before the All-Star break. Thanks for swinging in for a few. We appreciate it. One of those days we love doing this, huh, guys? We, absolutely. Yeah. One of our favorite, yeah. no doubt about it. Kellen Olsen joining us here in Studio Texas. Your thoughts? The FanDuel text line is open for you right now at 620-620 when it comes to any of it. Kevin Durant or Jonathan Gannon or anything. We'll go back to the Cardinals. While he's busy putting together his offensive staff, he still has a big decision to make with his defensive staff. We'll tell you about that next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo, Arizona sports, the local sports leader. Which that's, you know, I know Monty and and Michael have heard me say this multiple times. Everything, everybody that we bring in here or that is here or that will be a Cardinal will have elite football character because you will not hit your ceiling if you don't have that. And what I mean by that is, is you have to be team first. And that's how we're going to build this team. That is the voice of Jonathan Gannon, the new head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Coach Gannon was introduced this morning in a press conference heard live here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. So we welcome you back to the Burns and Gambo show on what has become a very, very busy Thursday afternoon with plenty for us to talk about. Gambo and I basically have just kind of been going back and forth between, hey, KD said this, JG said that. <laughs> KD said this, JG said that. And I'm calling him JG like I met the man, but apparently everyone does call him JG. Um, let's talk for a minute. We, we've talked about Gannon and what he said about kind of his four pillars. We've talked about Gannon and, and what he said about Kyler and the very specific use of the E word, calling Kyler elite. Let's talk about what Gannon means for the defense. And, and Gambo, in the scrum that he had with the media after the press conference, he indicated he was going to meet with Vance Joseph today. Here's what Gannon said. I'm going to talk to him today. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to sitting down with Vance. I know Vance for a, you know, a long time as a fan because he's done it at a high level. So uh, looking forward to talking to him about his vision for the defense and uh, if it blends with mine, and we'll, we'll go from there. Now, reportedly, Vance is going to talk to the Broncos about their defense. Job that there's a rumor that Rex Ryan's going to get it. He's going to talk. Wow. To, yeah, I know, right? I, I'm sure we're going to bring that up in the reset. That was one of ESPN's top stories today that Rex Ryan could be the leading candidate to be Sean Payton's defensive coordinator in Denver. You no, know, he's not. Like he's not terribly old. He's he's just he's been out for a while. Yeah. Um, he's just been out for a while, but he's been, you know, kind of like Herm, right? Is he, because when you work at ESPN and you're you're on TV all the time, you're not so far removed from the game. But yeah, no, I read that too that he's you know seen as the top candidate to become the Broncos' defensive quarter. He is a great defensive mind. He truly is. So like him getting back to coaching, I think it's good for the NFL. I mean, because he is a very good defensive minded guy. Here, okay, so it's in Vance interviewing with the Broncos and the Eagles. We'll see how the conversation went. Now, Gannon was asked today if he's going to call the defense. Here's what he said. Not sure on that yet. Uh, it's That's going to depending. That's going to depend a little bit of the makeup of the staff. Um, you know, I got a really good blueprint in Philly of how that went with the head coach and how he adapted to make our team better. Um, so I'll, I'll figure that out as we come. 
It's an interesting question, right? We, we always put a lot of stock into that. Is he going to be the head coach or is he going to defer that role to somebody else so we can just focus on being the head coach when the games are going on? Yeah, and he didn't know. He didn't have an answer to that. It's interesting. You just speak with Vance. What do you say? If, you know, if our vision's kind of, uh, you know, if his vision's the same as my vision. I mean, I understand what you said and, and, and I kind of agree with it in a way. Like, I think a clean slate would be great. I do think a clean slate, you know, would be good. Vance is under contract. Um, if, if, I think for Vance, too, if he had a chance to go somewhere else, I think that, that, that he would probably take that opportunity. But he, he, Vance is a good defensive coordinator. Not great, but he's a good defensive coordinator. And, you know, right now he's looking to fill a staff. So he might as well talk with everybody he can and try to figure figure. It's going to be his defense. It's going because he talked about it, right? We're going to be adaptable. And he talked about the play. He talked about it like he was going to run the defense. Okay, let's put it that way. Everything he said about being adaptable, when he talked about Isaiah Simmons, and he said, we're going to use him in all different ways. We're going to, you know, we're going to use his skill set. We're going to present matchup problems. It's going to be a chess match. We're going to, everything he said was like, I'm going to, this is going to be my defense. So it would have to be somebody that understands and can run what he is going to want them to run. Yeah. If they hire a DC. If they hire a DC. run the place. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off because I do have both of those cuts that you referenced a second ago. I have right here. Uh, Here's Gannon on what adaptable means to him. It's everything to me. The game continually changes and adapts, and the game in 2023 is not going to look like it was this year. And that's because coaches are smart. So um, I famously set a line back in when I first took over as a defensive coordinator of Philly that I don't have a scheme. And people were very uncomfortable with that. And I was not because I don't believe in a scheme. I believe in putting the players that we have in positions to be successful. So we are going to look different week to week, predicated on who we have playing and who we are playing. And um, I think that you have to be ever-evolving and adaptable and have a growth mindset to stay ahead of the curve or you will get beat. So uh, that's what I mean by adaptable. Good question. I'll be very curious to see how far his conversations with Vance Joseph go. And and, and you're right. I, and I, I swear when I say this, it's nothing against Vance at all personally or, or even professionally necessarily. I, I think he's done a really solid job as the defensive coordinator of this team. And, and maybe I should budge off of my position a little bit on this one. I just feel like it's got to be a clean slate start to bottom. You know, it's got to be a new staff, a new vision, a new voice, a new idea that that any kind of leftover is just going to be residue that I think this brand new clean slate of a new GM, a new assistant GM, a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator, I think it all needs to be new. And that's probably not fair to Vance because he didn't really think, do anything to deserve that. It's just sort of my philosophy about this. I'll be curious to see what happens with Vance in the conversations today and if it leads to anything. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think the familiarity is a good thing. He knows, you know, he knows the talent level. He's been here. He knows the players. I mean, you got and can, you know, obviously pick his brain and could help him in the transition. But I got, you know, I have every indication was given to me in that press conference. This is going to be his defense. The way he spoke about, like when he was asked about Isaiah Simmons, how he talked about being a chess match and the players and, you know, to me, being adaptable and the game changes and not believing in a scheme and we're going to look different week to week. 
you're not going to hire a defensive coordinator that says, well, here's my scheme. This is how I play. Okay, you're the defense. It's not going to, like, that's not going to happen. And I got that. That was pretty obvious and evident in his press conference that, you know, he'll probably hire a, def- you know, a guy that's going to be the defensive coordinator, but it's going to be his defense. Yeah. One other thing about the Cardinals that I want to bring up, it happened before the Jonathan Gannon press conference even started. I saw it on Twitter. So did you. And and I, I thought to myself, i got to say something about this on the air because Gambo has literally been suggesting this now for almost a month. And I wanted to bring it up because it was Joel Corey, who is a former agent, and he kind of covers the business of sports now. He tweets about the business of sports. He had mentioned something that you mentioned weeks ago, that DeAndre Hopkins' PED suspension might have nullified his no-trade clause. Now, again, that doesn't have anything to do with Vance Joseph or, or even really Jonathan Gannon, but that is an interesting twist to how this offseason is going to go if DeAndre Hopkins doesn't have a no-trade clause because he violated the PED policy. I was tipped off to that, I think, about three weeks or a month ago, and we brought it up on air a few times, that Hopkins, um, his no-trade may be voided based on the suspension. And then it came out today, and that, that proved to be true. But I did get a tip about that a while ago, and I know we discussed it on the air a few times. So that would make it you know, a lot easier if you decide to trade him and you don't have a no-trade clause to deal with, and you can just set him anywhere you want, and he doesn't have any real say in it. So that's a, that's a big win for the Cardinals if they, if they decide that they want to move on from him, which I... I think that they will, but we're not 100% sure yet. Yeah, no, we don't know for sure, but that is a win because now you, he's got a little bit less leverage when it comes to kind of dictating where he wants to go. Just something to kind of keep an eye on again. Doesn't have anything to do with Vance Joseph or the defense, but something we wanted to bring up. When we come back, two big press conferences, plenty of local basketball to watch tonight. We're going to catch you up on everything you need to know. The 4 o'clock reset is next. Burns and Gambo.